Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance, and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 17 in our series for 2018, and today's date is Friday the 8th of June. First, I talk to Ronan Leonard, who set up a coaching peer mentoring group called Mastermind. It's designed to help small businesses make decisions and work through problems. As he sees it, there's more value in making real peer-to-peer connections than paying external contractors who have no vested interest in your success. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And then I have a chat with RMIT economist, Professor Sinclair Davidson, looking at the government's tax package and how the government's going to get it through. And Sinclair has views about Amazon geo-blocking Australia because of tax. But first... Let's talk to Ronan Leonard. Ronan Leonard, tell us about Mastermind. The concept of the Mastermind was originally written by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. He was mentored by Andrew Carnegie, huge oil baron, uh, sorry, steel baron in the US, made billions. And the idea is that when you connect two or more people together, you create a third mind, almost like a super mind. And the supermind is always more intellectually robust and has a different view than the two people would have had on their own. It's one of the reasons that co-founders do so well, not because they are doing twice as much work as a solo business owner, 
But effectively, they're able to shape their ideas from a good idea into a great idea. They're able to bounce off each other and, and bury the bad idea without the single person would just continue on that. So it's just a great way of almost crowdsourcing other people's ideas and intellectual property so that you create something better than you would have done on your own. So how does Mastermind work? The concept is that you connect a group of people together. And when I do it, it's, it's virtually, but you can do them in person as well. And you bounce ideas off each other. You help each other with goal setting, advice, support, feedback. Basically, just as I said, you are crowdsourcing all their experience, intellectual property, and come together to help each other to resolve issues. These are businesses? Predominantly businesses. I'll give you a great example of a mastermind. If you've ever seen the Impressionist movement, René um, Degas, all of those amazing artists... That art movement didn't happen in isolation. They used to meet in a cafe in Paris almost nightly. They would share paint, they would share canvases, but they would also share ideas. And as a result, that when they all came together, they actually created a whole new art revolution called the Impressionist Movement. So there wasn't just one painter saying, this is the new way to go. They collectively shaped that. And as a result worth billions these days in, in, in art that we all know, love and appreciate. Uh, so that's the, that's the true concept of a mastermind coming together. So you bring different businesses together to talk? Yes, different businesses. I believe that if you uh, come in the same industry, so if you're all in HR or you're all in marketing, you tend to be stuck in that same sort of mindset and most of the ideas you come up with are really based on what you've all heard and, and seen. So it's quite hard to break out of that cycle. And having somebody from a completely different industry, completely different background, gives you a fresh perspective, and that's where often the magic happens. Uh, ostensibly, business is just all about ideas, implementing a good idea. So the better your idea and the more diverse the information that comes into shaping that idea, the more likely you are to, to change and come up with something quite radical. Some examples of businesses you've brought together for a mastermind? Yeah, I've brought some very diverse groups together. One of them has somebody who's technically known as a growth hacker, which is basically, it's like a marketing person that that tries to sort of bypass convention and will do things a little bit on the, on the edge of the spectrum. Another guy within that group does branding. A third person does... PR and general marketing. Somebody else does rope access uh, safety harnesses. And a third, per uh, another person within that group uh, actually teaches people how to network. So they are completely different industries, uh, but they all come together for that commonality of all helping each other. How difficult is that to bring together so such different Business groupings. Ostensibly, there's a common sort of theme within there is that, that these people realize that they can't do it on their own. Uh, a lot of small business owners reach that, that, that ceiling where they, only, they don't know what they don't know. So there's a couple of key things that tend to sort of come out in masterminds. One, they've reached that point where they want to grow and they realize that the ideas and, and the knowledge they had just isn't enough to take them to that next level. And secondly, really good business owners actually enjoy helping people. 
the definition of a business is helping somebody at a price they're happy to pay for. It's, it's as simple as that in business terms. You're solving problems. So a genuine, really good business owner loves helping people solve their problems. And when you're in that group, it's one of those things where you pay it forward. You go in with the, the group of not, what can all these people do for me? But what can I do within this group to help them? And, and when you build that level of trust and accountability and deeper level of connection than just a, a Facebook group, people will genuinely go out of their way to help and support you when you're stuck with something. And it's, a, it's very much a two-way street rather than, as I said, just people thinking, all these people are going to help me. Isn't that fabulous? It's, it's a community. It's very much about networking, isn't it? It's networking on a different level. I go to quite a few networking events, and unfortunately the reality is that most people go there with the wrong attitude. They hand out a business card before they even know what you do, so they're trying to sell to you immediately. They're missing a huge trick in the fact that at a networking event, if you can find someone that is going to champion your business or you can cross-promote or you can do a joint venture together, that's worth far much more than you trying to sell a one-off item to everybody and anybody in the room. So I would say it's networking, but to a different level, because most people at a networking event, you just have a couple of minutes with them, maybe even 20-minute conversation if if you're lucky. This is going to a deeper level where you get to to, to know their fears, their doubts, the true under the hood of their business, because they will open up once they get to know, like, and trust you. Do the businesses keep in touch outside of the mastermind framework? Absolutely. They, we encourage people to come up with an accountability partner, a, a, yin, a yin to your yang. So some people are very good at process. Some people are terrible at that. Creativity might be an issue. So the, one of the really good ways to do is, is to form this alliance where two people connect outside of that. And maybe once a week or once a fortnight, they spend half an hour, an hour just championing each other what are your goals for the week and making sure they actually follow through on those what i find with small business owners is there's no accountability and it it's not a sexy word unfortunately but the reality is as a small business owner you are responsible for everything you're responsible for the results but also you're responsible for the growth of your business and if there's nobody there's no manager there to hold you accountable you can quite easily sort of drop into this rut where you just do the things that you are comfortable with, that you're familiar with, and you hit that groove and it feels okay, but the true growth is actually stepping outside of that and being just a little bit uncomfortable in learning new skills, learning new marketing techniques, and growing your business that way. And the accountability partners that are outside of that group that that meet just as a one-on-one are able to just set those goals, push back on each other and say, you know, what happened? Do you need some help? And just help each other in that, in that one-on-one situation. So it's, it's a true network in that case? Yes, there is that phrase that your, your net worth is your, your network. But you have to nurture those, those relationships because any network where it's just give and uh, it's all take and no give, or if you're not constantly working on that network it will wither and die if you only contact somebody once every two years when you want something they're unlikely the first time they might say yes the second time less likely the third time they're not going to return your phone call or your email because you would have burned that bridge so the true magic does happen when you collaborate and you really form those alliances that are so much stronger than than just hey i want something from you 
What's interesting, though, too, is that um, you're actually... It's actually going far deeper than normal networking, and most people actually struggle with networking. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they do, partly because, obviously, they... They're going in with the the sales attitude. People are told you go to networking events because you'll you'll make money, and and for a lot of people that's an uncomfortable thing to start to meet people and almost sell to them. If you're coming in with a different attitude, who can I meet in this room that could be an amazing person that could be you know a champion for me? So I I as I said I keep looking at a different point of view to most people around around that networking and around that finding people to champion you. Again, a lot of small business owners, the only sounding board they have is their family and friends. And half their family and friends don't get what they do and, and aren't the right sounding board. And they might support them emotionally, but they don't really, they can't give them business advice because they're just not in that, that sphere. So it can be extremely lonely and isolating for small business owners. So how do you get out of that? You either pay a coach, you have a co-founder, you find a mentor, or you find some kind of support group like a mastermind. And without that, it's a long, lonely road of just you in your head. What am I doing? <laughs> What's next? Uh, I, I'm feeling a little bit isolated. So this would be quite critical for small businesses to get ahead. Absolutely. Small business has so many things against them. I use an analogy that it's a little bit like tug of war. There's you on the one end of the rope. And everybody's on the other end. Everybody's pulling for your time, your resources, your energy. You think all the red tape that small business has to go through, all the other competitors that are against them, issues with suppliers, customers. It feels like everybody is against you. So having more people on your team pulling with you rather than everyone pulling against you is a great way to look at a look at uh, business. Ronan Lennon, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Leon. And now, let's talk to RMIT economist, Professor Sinclair Davidson. Sinclair Davidson, the uh, government has signalled that it's going to bring its uh, business tax cut bill and uh, the entire tax cut bill to the uh, Senate on in June, with a deadline of June the 28th. Yes. But there's no certainty it's going to get through. What's your view about this? Um, I, I think it's, it's it's been fascinating to watch sort of the, the machinations and uh, how the Populists in the Senate are actually going about this because you would kind of think that following the American example where a populist president has actually brought in company tax cuts, that populists in Australia would be following suit. And yet uh, Mrs. Hansen is for it, she's against it, she's for it again. And I think as of Friday she was against it but half her party was for it. So it's just really hard to work out where it's going to go. But I think it boils down to the government must be fairly confident they can give Mrs. Hansen whatever she wants and give uh, um, Senator Hinch what he wants and if that goes through, the chances are it'll probably pass. And, of course, uh, the other thing is we've got no idea is where the Labour Party is quite on this at the moment either. Well, the Labour Party is uh, debating about whether it should be supporting the tax cuts generally. 
Yes, and it's 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 quite interesting because in in 2010 the the then Labour government uh, with Treasurer Wayne Swan actually announced very similar uh, tax cuts for companies, and they were running all the arguments the current government is running, and now in opposition they're saying no 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 we can't do that. So it's 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 quite interesting watching the juxtaposition of each side as they've come in and out of Parliament in terms of arguments that they will support or won't support. Um, Unfortunately, we're not hearing good arguments around company tax rates. At the moment, we're hearing bad arguments. And the bad arguments are along the lines of we have to punish business because they behave badly. Um, and we're seeing that for the Banking Royal Commission and, 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 and so on. Um, and that's certainly Mrs. Hansen's line. And um, and I think that's completely the wrong approach, is that we don't levy tax because we want to punish people. We levy tax because we want to raise money to do other things. And then we've got to think, of well, how much is it costing us to raise money to do these other things? Um, and so if we, if, we had a ta- if we had a tax argument around things such as the budget deficit, because bearing in mind we are bringing tax cuts at a time the budget is still in deficit. So that's actually a serious argument, which the government have been able to completely avoid. Actually, I'm arguing about that. Um, and then also the long-term consequences. Of, of, of tax cuts, which we know from the 2010 budget papers are actually quite good. So we're not hearing those arguments. We're hearing all sorts of arguments about the personality clashes in the One Nation Party. We're hearing all about punishing big business because they behave badly and so on, uh, which is actually not a very good debate to be having. And the issue of the budget deficit is quite critical. I would have thought so. We, we will have had a budget deficit now since 2008, um, and we were looking at even at the moment, under some fairly rosy forecasts, we're looking at a budget surplus in 21-22, and we're only starting to pay down the debt at that point. Um, so uh, debt and deficit are something we don't talk about, which is actually a problem, which we should be talking about. And we're having arguments about punishing big business and whether or not Mrs. Hansen can get on with her friends. The uh, the issue is, though, if the tax cuts are brought in, what will that do for the deficit? Well, this is where the, 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 the timing of economic activities start coming in. I would have thought if the government's rosy forecasts are realised, that the deficit will go out around about 21, 22, as, as is currently forecast. The challenge there is how rosy are those forecasts? And the other challenge, of course, is if nothing bad happens in between now and then. Now we know what's happening now is uh, inflation in the world is starting to kick up just a little bit. Um, the American government seem to be engaging in trade wars with their trading partners, not, not even like people far away. I mean, Mexico and Canada, for goodness sake. Um, and uh, yes, and Europe. Uh, Brexit is, is about to happen, and, and I think it will happen, despite what everybody else says. Um, and so th- there are some clouds on the horizon. We are not in a good position, but at the same time, um, a lot of countries around the world do have much lower company tax rates than we do have, Um, but we are also very reliant on company tax revenue, unlike most other countries around the world. So it it, it boils down to do the benefits of those tax cuts start flowing quickly enough, and there I am not convinced because those tax cuts only kick in around about 26 um, I think if you're going to cut taxes dramatically, you've got to tax, you've got to cut those taxes straight away. So I would be coming in and say, okay, let's shock the economy, and we're going to cut 25% next year, and be done. 
um, because you want to get those full benefits quicker rather than slower, even if that means that you know you're going to go into a slightly longer deficit, but make the argument. Um, right now, the government isn't making those arguments because they don't have to make those arguments because we're actually having a silly debate as opposed to a far more serious debate. Do you expect the package will get through? I am hopeful. Um, I think tax cuts are always better than not tax cuts, so I am quite hopeful. Um, I do suspect that uh, the, the, the crossbench can be bought off. I think the last time they took them to the parliament, they were one vote short. Um, so if they bring it again, they must be fairly confident. I'm also hopeful that the Labour Party will revert to their nine, uh, 2010 economic policy and, and vote for them as well. Um, bearing in mind we've got five by-elections in six weeks' time, and polling around those five by-elections will also probably feed into uh, people's thoughts. And even though there are by-elections, it's not just one by it's five by-elections, it's a mini-election, and elections do tend to focus the mind. And so I, I am hopeful that the Labour Party will vote for them too, just on the basis it's better to have broader support than less support, but tax cuts are always better than no tax cuts. Particularly with some opinion polls showing that the Labour Party is behind in the seats of Longman and Yes, 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 yes. I, I think losing seats to a sitting uh, – uh, losing uh, uh, opposition losing seats in a by-election is, is a rare event. Um, you would normally expect governments to lose seats uh, um, during by-elections or just to lose the election. I mean, uh, you should be able to hold your seats, I would have thought. Um, and so if they lose those two seats and the Liberals pick up Mayo, which was previously a, a Liberal seat, um, the government's uh, uh, majority is actually starting to look a lot bigger in the House. Of course, that doesn't solve their problems in the Senate. But nonetheless, um, it does put the opposition behind the eight ball, certainly on economic policy, when we are probably another year perhaps away from an, uh, a general election. So uh, it's, I, I think people need to think carefully, think wisely, um, and, and certainly act economically responsibly. The other big issue with tax is what's happened with Amazon geo-blocking yes. consumers. Yes, yes. It's uh, um, fascinating. I and probably many millions of other Australians received an email on, on Friday afternoon telling me I could no longer purchase uh, books from Amazon.com and uh, Kindle from Amazon.co.uk, where I, I buy my Kindles from the UK. I buy my, uh, my hardcovers from the United States. Um, because we were being geo-blocked as a result of what the Liberal Party are describing as the GST being applied to online sales. And uh, anybody reading Twitter over the weekend would have seen a massive debate between people saying, well, it's only fair that online sales are covered by GST and not as the case may be. But in actual fact, what is happening here is that this is not the extension of the GST to online sales. The GST is a consumption tax levied upon Australian consumers that is collected by the company and they get an input credit which gets refunded to them. They pay the last 10% of the value add. But it's a tax on consumption in Australia. What the tax is that the uh, government have levied on online sales is a turnover tax that falls upon the supplier of goods to Australia. It is a tax on doing business with Australians. And when the tax office in Australia was asked how they would enforce this particular tax, they said if we thought somebody wasn't paying the tax to us, we would go to their country's tax authorities and lobby for them to be audited by their own country's tax authorities. 
Now, the problem is in the United States is that um, there is a tax on online sales but can't be levied by states unless you've got a physical presence in that state. And, of course, most companies don't even bother to collect it. So from memory, I think there's about a 4% compliance rate which is pathetic. It's just absolutely rubbish. Um, But nonetheless, if you are a company like Amazon, why do you want to have uh, your own government being lobbied by foreigners for you to be tax audited when all you are doing is buying and selling goods? Um, I'm fully expecting in in the the coming weeks that organizations such as eBay will probably follow suit. And I think the government's popularity will collapse uh, simply because I'm sure there must be millions of people buying millions upon millions of items on the Internet that very often you can't get in Australia at all. Or when you can get them, they are many times more expensive. So if the price differential online was just the 10% GST, I would have a lot of sympathy for Australian retailers. But very often they charge a multiple of the, of the price and then they want to get the GST on top of that. So this particular policy has not only reduced choice for Australian consumers, it won't raise the revenue that the government is expecting. So it's just a bad policy all around. They were told it was a bad policy. On Friday afternoon, I went and found in the Hansard where I predicted a year ago Australia would be geoblocked. Um, so they knew it was coming. They went ahead despite all the warnings that they had received. So um, when people start abusing Mr. Morrison for this appalling idea of his, um, I will have no sympathy whatsoever for him. You're expecting a backlash on the government? Yes, 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 because right now people aren't quite aware of what this means until they start going into Amazon like I did and looked at their pre-orders that are no longer available for purchase in Australia. And you're saying there will be a particularly strong backlash because it will flow through to companies like eBay. Yes, yes. I'm I'm expecting eBay and similar organisations to start geo-blocking us as as well. And I think that there are especially very many millions of Australian women who do a lot of shopping online who are going to be very, very annoyed. And, I mean, I think the government knows, a lot of people know, the gatekeeper vote person in any household normally is the woman, the wife. Um, she has parents that she's looking after. She's got kids. And when she gets angry, her husband will get angry. Her parents will get angry. Her friends will get angry. Um, I think Mr. Morrison, who on Friday was saying he makes no apology for this, will be apologizing most profusely in the near future. Sinclair Davidson, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, all eyes are on trade. First, we had the news last week that the Trump administration's temporary exemption on metal tariffs was just that. Temporary. It's letting them expire. And that means one thing. The EU, Canada and Mexico will be hit by tariffs. So they've already flagged retaliatory measures. And we can expect those over the next few weeks. Not that it phases the Trump administration. It's launched an investigation into auto and auto parts imports into the US. So we can expect that just might have an impact on consumers and, of course, it could set off chain reactions in the global supply chain. Meanwhile, the US-China trade truce came to an end last weekend. China has refused to commit to buying any more US goods without Trump agreeing not to impose any more of his tariffs on Chinese goods. Added to that is all the speculation that Trump is planning to pull the US out of NAFTA. Now, to 
to Australia and the economy grew by a healthy 1% this year, according to the latest figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. This had the economy growing at 3.1% over the 12 months to March. And this was well above the expected level of 2.8%. And 1% was better than the market's expectations of a 0.9% growth. Now, this growth was driven by strong investment in machinery and equipment. It was particularly strong in the non-mining sector. Private, non-financial business profits increased by 6% in the March quarter, the strongest increase in the past year. And a strong rise in exports accounted for half the growth in gross domestic product, or GDP, with production of coal, iron ore, liquefied natural gas increasing strongly. Household consumption grew by 0.3%, driven by rises in people buying non-discretionary items. It grew 2.9% through the year, while the household savings ratio fell to 2.1%. That's come in at the lowest rate since December 2007. Now, Australia's biggest employer, the services sector, is booming. The Australian Industry Group's Australian Performance of Services Index rose by 3.8 points to 59 in May 2018, accelerating the growth from April. The PSI measures activity in the sector from one month to the next, and anything above 50 points is an expansion, and the number of 59 shows healthy growth. The index showed new orders grew more strongly in May than in April, up 8.7 points to 65, while sales continued its robust run, rising 4.3 points to 60.1 points. Employment accelerated slightly. This sub-index was up marginally in May, marking a year of expanding employment. Now, the main growth was from areas like property, finance and transport. They all reported solid demand from customers in construction and manufacturing. However, the more discretionary, mainly consumer-oriented subsectors remain relatively weaker in May, with retail trade contracting again. Hospitality also contracted. Now, the Reserve Bank of Australia kept interest rates steady in June, an outcome that was widely expected by economists and markets alike. The cash rate has remained at 1.5% for 20 consecutive meetings. That's the longest stretch without a move in either direction on record. Australia's current account deficit narrowed to a seasonally adjusted $10.469 billion in the first quarter of 2018 from the fourth quarter of last year. And Australian retail sales rebounded in April, helped in part by warmer weather, encouraging people to eat out. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, sales rose by 0.4% to $26.56 billion in seasonally adjusted terms, topping forecasts for an increase of 0.3%. Cafes, restaurants and takeaways led the rises, jumping by 1.3%. The ABS said sales grew in most states and territories, led by a strong increase in New South Wales, Australia's most populous state. The strength in New South Wales and Victoria suggests recent declines in property prices have yet to impact household spending levels, at least in retail outlets. And to corporate news. And the ACCC has formally laid criminal cartel charges against the ANZ, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank and six senior executives. Those charged include ANZ's global head of treasury, Rick Moscardi, and the former head of Citigroup's operations in Australia, Stephen Roberts. The matter is listed before the Downing Centre Local Court in Sydney on July the 3rd, 2018. Now, I have to say that Australia's banks have become symbols of destructive greed, sparking public outrage. The charges, however, are significant because the scrutiny of the banks has mostly focused on their wrongdoing against retail customers and small businesses. 
cartel behaviour is entirely different. And the Commonwealth Bank has settled its proceedings with Austrac over anti-money laundering allegations for $700 million. Austrac, the government's financial transactions watchdog, had filed alleged breaches of anti-money laundering, counter-terrorism financing and money laundering laws in the federal court. The agreement to pay a civil penalty of $700 million, together with Austrac's legal costs of $2.5 million, follows court-ordered mediation and is subject to federal court approval. As part of the agreement, CBA has admitted further contraventions of Australia's Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Act beyond those already admitted, including contraventions in risk procedures, reporting, monitoring and customer due diligence. The civil proceedings follow an investigation into the use of intelligent deposit machines, which, it's claimed, became the outlet of choice for criminal syndicates to shift offshore cash from drug deals. Austrac alleged more than 553,800 contraventions of the Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Financing Act of 2006. And the Commonwealth Bank had provided an estimated penalty of $375 million in the half-year to December, and CBA will recognise the $700 million provision in its financial statements for the full year to end into June. And it's facing further costs of $200 million for expenses relating to currently known regulatory compliance and remediation program costs, including the Financial Services Royal Commission, where a series of scandals involving the big four banks are being investigated. Now, the other piece of news is the head of the MBN has blamed gamers for a significant increase in data consumption on its fixed wireless network. And he said the company is considering throttling back data consumption of what he calls extreme users like gamers during peak periods. Bill Morrow, the chief executive of the National Broadband Network, appeared before a Senate committee on Monday to answer questions about the rollout of the MBN in rural and regional areas. He was asked about his plans to deal with significant spikes in data usage on the MBN's fixed wireless network in recent months, particularly during peak times. MBN Co. was considering introducing a policy of fair use for fixed wireless, Morrow said, so heavy users could be throttled back to the same usage as everyone else during busy periods. Now, competition between online retailer Kogan.com and and giants JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman is set to intensify, with Kogan announcing plans to push into the white goods and kitchen appliances market. Kogan.com founder and chief executive Ruslan Kogan said that the sector is ripe for picking. His company has signed supply and logistics agreement with an unnamed players and should be selling fridges, washing machines, dryers, dishwashers, and do cooktops by the end of a calendar year. Now, one of Australia's largest landlords, Vicinity Centres, has announced plans to sell off $1 billion of its secondary centres and reinvest the money in developing other malls. Vicinity will offload $1 billion of its non-course sub-regional and neighbourhood shopping centres. Now, Vicinity operates destination malls like Chatston in Melbourne and the Queen Victoria Building in Sydney. It also controls a substantial factory outlet portfolio under the DFO brand. The company's sale of its shopping centres comes amid a sluggish retail environment, bogged down by subdued spending following stagnant wage growth in the country. Now, Vicinity's half-year 2018 underlying profit fell 1% because of a tougher environment. And it's official. Qantas has caved into pressure from Beijing, The Australian airline has confirmed it plans to change its website to refer to Taiwan as a Chinese territory as opposed to an independent nation. 
China's aviation regulator in April gave three dozen airlines a May the 25th deadline to remove references on their websites or another material that suggests Taiwan, Hong Kong and Macau are part of countries independent from China. <laughs> it's a move that the White House has described as Orwellian. Speaking at the International Air Transport Association annual meeting in Sydney this week, Qantas Chief Executive Alan Joyce confirmed the airline would be complying with the request. A new retail food group chief executive, Richard Hinson, has taken the knife to the troubled food and coffee franchise's profit guidance, warning that underlying net profit is expected to fall 54% this year. In a trading update on Tuesday, barely a week after Mr Hinson took the helm from Andre Nell, retail food group said underlying net profit for 12 months to June was expected to be around $34.5 million. That's down from $75.7 million in 2017 and $24.7 million in the December half. Now, News Corporation has sold a number of its home and lifestyle brands to Bauer Media as a German-owned magazine publisher expands its portfolio in the category. Bauer will acquire titles Inside Out, Country Style and Homelife.com.au and the financial terms of the deal were not disclosed. And finally... Wholesaler Metcash is set to report a bottom line loss for 2018 after booking $352 million in asset impairments in its supermarkets and convenience business. The impairments include $318 million of goodwill and other intangibles and $34 million of other assets in the supermarkets and convenience pillar, including distribution centres. And that's it for this week. And next week we have a terrific interview with Trevor Townsend, who runs Startup Bootcamp. In the meantime... You can keep up with me on Twitter at TalkingBizBowDoubleZ or on Facebook. Take care and looking forward to talking to you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.